It should be noted that Japan has never preceded hostile action by a declaration of war. We have concluded that it is a possibility that a fast-rating Japanese carrier force might arrive in Hawaiian waters with no prior warning from our intelligence service. The most favorable time to the enemy would be dawn. folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 136, and today we're going to be talking about Torah, Torah, Torah. This great and fantastic film stars a cast of characters. Martin Balsam, So Yamamura, Joseph Cotton, Tatsuya Mihashi, and E.G. Marshall. And I'm going to throw in the other guy that played uh, Commander Fuchida. I like this guy, uh, Takahiro Tamura. Because I just like his name. I'm your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. You call down the thunder when you buy my battleship, Slover. You know, 30 years later, out comes a movie called Pearl Harbor. There we go. And whatever you think about this movie, at least this movie did not have, unlike a movie 30 years later that, that had the state-of-the-art CGI had in the background, clearly, Perry-class frigates and Spruance-class destroyers. So say what you will about this movie. It wasn't that piece of shite. Uh, Mark, I have to agree with you. There's only uh, two words about uh, the, the Pearl Harbor movie that they made 30 years later that was worth watching. And her name was Kate Beckinsale. I'll say no more. All right. And uh, also joining us is our other good and dear friend, Jeff Holy crap, I saw Geisha's Muncie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bravo. Oh, I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. Did you even make it past that scene? I, 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 hold on. Did you loop that scene? You know, I was wondering when the attack on Pearl Harbor was going to happen. I, still on pause. Um, uh, One of our dedicated dear listeners uh, Santos Rogi uh, said it best that um, tonight Tora 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 would be uh, his guest for the movie we're doing uh, it would be a cold day in hell before these guys review Pearl Harbor they'd all have to turn in their man cards and uh, I I think gentlemen we have done our job of letting our listeners know who we are and uh, the fact that we started this podcast off with Slover pointing out the Perry classes in the in, in the in the terrible movie called Pearl Harbor which should have been called Pearl Harbor, a love story. Um, <laughs> the, the, the over under on me was still 30 minutes that um, Slover you know, would have brought up, but God, God love you for opening up with a Slover. I, I couldn't resist. Jeez. Okay. Very well done. Nice, Jeff. All right. And last and certainly not least is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. I don't display 6,400 tons, but I have a huge gun. Brony. <laughs> Wow. You know, (laughs) the Japanese Navy went up to 18 inches, as anybody really knows. But I I think that good old American 16 inches are more than adequate. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) 
And hold on, we've got to steer this thing back onto the road. <laughs> I know. You know what? I feel bad because I, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to still have fun with this show. And uh, guys, we're doing this in remembrance of Pearl Harbor. Uh, this is, geez, was it 70, 70. Se- 70 years? Good lord! Oh no, no, no wait, seventy-three wait. years. Uh, seventy-four, isn't it? No, seventy-three years. It'll be seventy-three years. Uh, Seventy. Yeah. Okay. Seventy-three. Right. Seventy-three. Yeah. So seventy-three years since uh, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, which, as everybody knows, brought the United States, who was the isolationist sleeping giant, into World War II. Uh, and as I introduced Mark, uh, they they called down the thunder, and we brought hell with us. So, as Germany and Japan found out. You know, humor aside, we're still trying to have a little bit of fun with this, with respect. But this is one of the movies that we wanted to do because uh, we do this on Friday. It's going to be, um, when's the 7th anyway? Today's Sunday. A, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Yeah, so, this yeah, is so, the actual anniversary. Yeah, so this is the anniversary. And we're doing this one. It has been, guys, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I, I probably haven't seen this probably 20, 25 years. It, this was almost a new viewing for me. I haven't seen it for a long time, so it was it was almost a fresh viewing. As I told the guys earlier, we don't have the normal um, uh, the Man Cave movie intro on this one. <clears throat> I'm still in contract negotiations with our uh, voiceover actress. Um, she's she's holding out for something. But anyway, uh, for those of you who have never seen this movie, this is pretty much a dramatization of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor right before World War II. So, guys, I don't know. I mean, for any of you out there who have ever seen The Longest Day, this is kind of like the the same format. It's almost, what would you guys say, almost like a documentary, but not quite. It, it it's, a, it's a docudrama. Yeah, docudrama. It's a lot of, uh, I don't know, like the, the, well, they've got the subtitles with the Japanese talking, but every time you see a certain person, they have the the subtitle, like who they are, you know, what they're doing, that type of thing. And this is a long movie, so uh, if you're going to sit and watch this one, pack a lunch. It's long. It's um, it's got an intermission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, every bit of uh, what two and a half, two and a quarter hours. Two hours yeah. twenty four minutes. Two hours twenty four minutes. So yeah, it's it's a long movie. So uh, directed by Richard Fleischer, he did some uh, really great movies back in the day, such as. Well, let's see. He did. Uh, let's see. He did. Fantastic Voyage. He did the Vikings. Ooh, a good one. That's oh, a man yeah. cave movie. Yeah. That's a man yes, cave. It is. Yeah. He did Fantastic Voyage. He did the Vikings, which we reviewed. Mm. Yep. And let's see. He did um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Another good movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, then he um, then he went on. To, oh, he did the Jazz Singer, which is an interesting movie. Then he went on to do some of the great classics of the 80s, such as Amityville 3D, Conan the Destroyer, (laughs) and... Just as plain as in a nosedive right now, isn't it? <laughs> and Red Sonia. This was oh. yeah. oh. what you're saying. Oh. That with the nail in his coffin. He had a tragic. He tragically fell on hard times. Yeah. He. This is. This is, was uh. the. Uh, 
I think this was his kamikaze dive into filmmaking because, I mean, he did some really good stuff. And then, like I said, from, from 83 to 85, uh, those, uh, two and a half to three years was like, really? Then, like a Val dive bomber that got hit by a P-40, he ended up in a pineapple field. Pretty much. So, there you go. Uh, let's put it this way. It's one of those things where you have to wonder, do the last three films cancel out all the other stuff he did? But, uh, but I'll tell you what, guys, this is, it's a good movie. And, you know, let's start talking about it. It's one of those things where it's a lot of, it, it's almost very much documentary kind of stuff in the sense of, I mean, there's acting, but it, it's slow going. But, and we'll get into the discussion of the action scenes, but when that attack takes place for 1970, you almost thought that this was really happening. I mean, that was some impressive, impressive stuff, uh, especially the raids on Hickam Field. Oh, my God. It was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, were people actually dying in that scene? I mean, people came close. Yeah. In in what Mark talked about earlier with Pearl Harbor, again that was all CGI. Even with all the CGI, this movie still looks better than that piece of shite. A, yes, a it thing does. that was cool about this movie, and I think you guys know what I'm talking about, is you know as you you just said, it's a documentary type feel. They went way out of the way, put a lot of effort into making it as realistic looking as they could. And all through the 70s and 80s, you would be watching some movie, some war movie, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, there would be scenes they just clipped out of this movie and plugged in because they look so good. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Midway, yeah. a lot of the Pacific War movies, yes. Anything with aerial sequences, you're right. They did. They liberally ripped this movie off. Yeah, the cinematography in this, and Jeff, I mean, this is this is kind of your ballywick, but to me, the cinematography of this movie, particularly during uh, a lot, you know, the the battle scenes and the flying scenes, I think were just spectacular. I and and you, you look at it today, and you're like, my God, that's just it. It, it really blows you away because, like I said, I have not seen this movie probably in twenty twenty five years, so fresh viewing for me, and I was still amazed at the cinematography of this. Real quick, it's really two movies. The first half is a character study. Right. And then the second half is the battle itself, or the attack on Pearl. Well, also, there were two complete independent production crews. They had an American crew and a Japanese crew, and then they merged it together in production. But how, how often do you get that? Occasionally, but not often. So, Jeff, we've cut you out. I, I'm i just glad you guys remembered that I was here. Are we giving you the hi-hat again? You know, the hi-hat, yes. Um, you know, this I didn't know this until I started looking into it. This movie actually garnered five Academy Award nominations. And it won, I, I, I want to say it was production, Steve. I can't, I can't find it here, and I can't remember what it was. But for things like score and oh shit, I just give me a second here. It won best special effects. Thank you. That's what it was. Special effects. You get. I mean, rightly so. 
when Rightly you so. when you look at Steve, like you said, you know the the when you watch this and you see how those explosions, the timing of them, the proximity of stunt people and um, and actors to them, um, and just the sheer size of them is is just impressive. But you are right, Steve. The way that this movie is shot, mostly when we get to the battle scenes, I mean, there's a reason that this movie is pulled from for scenes because you couldn't do much better job. And I think Mark might have said even the new Pearl Harbor doesn't seem to do as good of a job as, yeah. as this did. You know, I know you said this is a fresh viewing for you. I, this is one of those movies that for me, when it's on TV, I stop what I'm doing. I really enjoy this movie. And, and I, I know what Mark said was um, this movie is, is really two movies and we've already said it's a, it's a documentary and it's taken some criticism because of the approach that they had to this movie. I think it's actually the strength of the movie, that this is a story to be told and really is told from both sides. And we talked about the two production crews. This is only about 25 years after World War II when this was made. And there was still a lot of, I think, anger and resentment. But they approached this movie in a way that showed... Know, soldiers or sailors for for who they were, and I was I am always amazed that in 1970, given the time period, and this is you know late 60s when they were shooting all this, and the story came out in the late 60s. So let's just say 20 years after Pearl, or 20 years after the war ended, 25 years after Pearl Harbor, we are still able to put a movie out there that is fair, mostly fair to both sides. And trying to present both sides of the story, um, we couldn't even do that for the Alamo the first time around. And it took you know another you know you know until about ten fifteen years ago for us to try to do that. Um, but this movie and the pacing of it, and I'll turn it back over to you guys here, is it's taking some criticism. But I really appreciate the background story to what led us up to those events, so we can see that it was. Not just us missing one thing. It was almost like a comedy of errors along the way that really led to this fateful day happening. And the presentation of it through the entire two hours and 24 minutes, I think, is very well done. And I don't mean to uh, jump ahead of anybody, everybody, but one thing I think that this movie really shows... Like you said, it shows the both sides. It shows, you know, the Japanese planning, and it shows the Americans trying to figure out what's going on. And like you said, for lack of a better term, the comedy of errors. But I think it's that thing of, you know, in hindsight, you look back and go, well, for Christ's sake, how did you know it wasn't coming? But you've got all these different pieces that it you know they they show it's like you know maybe you know eg marshall he's the one intelligence guy that's trying to put pieces together well he's just one cog in the whole intelligence network i mean they focus on him in the movie because you can't focus on everybody else but washington's being fed all kind of reports he's just one of them and this is one of the things that i've always said to people after the whole 9-11 thing they go well you know you know, we had the report that bin Laden strike in the U.S. Uh, yeah, can you narrow it down a little bit more? I mean, they even pointed out 
at one point in the movie, the Japanese could go, well, they go to Borneo, the Philippines. I mean, they were listing all these places. Well, you know, we only have so many places to to deal with. So it's it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, we should have been prepared. Well, we were trying. But one thing about this movie that I thought was very important to point out uh, for those of us military geeks and history geeks and stuff like that, one thing about this movie that really got it right, especially the guys in the in the army, did you look at those uniforms and did you look at the weapons that they had? We were still outfitted as if we were fighting World War One. Oh yeah, yeah, we we're still. Well, like World War one. We were. About one thing too about this movie, it came out in 1970, and a major. Part of this movie was following these American code breakers that, you know, they were reading the Japanese intercepts. Trying, and it wasn't like they knew exactly what was going on. As you said, they're trying to puzzle it out. There's still a lot of mystery going on. Everything wasn't certain. But in 1970, the knowledge of that, the fact that, you know, the America had broken the Japanese you know, Purple Code, and, you know, later on the Enigma machine with the Germans. That had been top, top secret and only had been declassified a few years before. And I think that's one of the things that drove the desire to make this movie. Because most people in America had this idea of what Pearl Harbor was all about. They, they, you know, they did not know this backstory that kind of people knew was coming. I mean, a lot of people still thought it was a, a bolt out of the blue and we're totally, you know, without warning. But that's not, not the case. And I think that's part of what got the, the whole drive to put this together is it's like, this is big news. We want to show the world what was going on. And I thought they did a very good job of showing that without, like you said, Steve, without making it like, well, everybody knew what's going on and it's some conspiracy theory or something. Well, I and that's the thing. I don't believe it was a conspiracy theory. I think it was just the fact that it's human nature that when you have that size of a bureaucracy, it just takes forever for that information to filter up. And when you have so many, and, and I, like I said, you're seeing one side of it. I mean, I'm sure they were getting, you know, dozens or even you know hundreds of conflicting reports of like, you know, what are the Japanese doing? Where are they, you know, where are they going? And who would have thought of all the areas that they could go to? Are they going to go all the way to Pearl? Right. Who They're going to now. Who? All these other targets yeah. are way before Pearl Harbor. Yeah. I mean, and, it's that's and, way and out of got their way. No notice. I mean, they've got they got the carriers out there. They've got a fleet out in the Pacific. They've got things out there, and nobody's reporting anything. And the, the one of the other things that this is a Sunday morning. And so a lot of this is happening over the weekend period. And guess what? A lot of people are home on the weekend. And we don't have the technology that we have today. People are dealing with you know, rotary dial-up phones. And so the technology and the, time, the, the space or the time that it takes for information to, to move from point A to point B. And I think another thing they point in the movie is just the ability to get a hold of people. Yeah. We don't – I mean we don't even understand what it was like to – Try to, I mean, it, it, I'm sure that most of all of us here do, but to the young, younger generation, if you couldn't get a hold of somebody, you couldn't get a hold of somebody. Right. There was no way to go and track them down. Right. And, um, and Jeff, just to point out, in 1941, despite what a lot of people think, 
most people still didn't have a telephone. Okay, and and there is that. Yeah. Um, but the people that the major players here, I mean, they had telephones, but it was you you saw it. It was like you know I can't get a hold of so and so. Again, they're they're cracking this code. They they you know the Japanese have you know not declared war. Um, they know something's coming. I mean you know they know we can't stay out of it forever, but they thought that we could still catch it before it it got too late. And you know I mean the, the, you know give credit to the Japanese. They 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 knew what they wanted to do. We're going to deliver the, uh, you know, the, 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 the ultimatum and we're going to, you know, declare war or sever ties. And, and then as soon as that happens, you know, we can honorably, you know, attack. And well, that's not what would happen. That's not what happened. Um, and it, and it shows them as not, I don't think it bails them out. I think it just shows the timing of things because as you said, a lot of people probably didn't know the backstory and everything that was involved with the timing and the major players in it and how things went up the chain of command and had to be approved and whatever. I mean, there was a lot of politics involved in it. And like Mark said, with, with the code breakers, I mean, there was a lot of moving parts here and they all took time to develop. And I think the show greatly lays it out. I mean, there was things that we could have caught, you know, well, we've, you know, we, we missed this, you know, giant, you know, this new thing called radar has, has come up and, you know, well, there's this, you know, this giant blob on it. Well, it could be, you know, a bunch of these B-17s flying in. You know, there's just things that were missed along the way. And it really, I think, just lays out the details of just what happened, the events that led up to it. I think it's actually a fascinating movie. Um, but there's a lot of people that, you know, have, have issues with it because of its, you know, documentary style. Well, I, I've got a thing I like is the fact they they treat everything respectfully, and they don't they assume that the viewers are are smart and can get what they're showing. So they don't have to spoon feed it. They don't have to dumb it down. They they just sort of give it to you as they got it and trust that you'll figure it out. Well, and I think part of that is because the generation that saw this movie in 1970 lived through it. Whether they served or were like my father who was in Korea, they grew up with it. Or like us, we learned about it in school. You know, whether, whether you were a history buff like us or not, you got a dose of the history of World War II in high school or college. You couldn't avoid it. To your, I think that that's a very good point, Jeff, that they don't spoon feed it because they respect the audience. And the other thing I think that is really interesting about this movie is it also demonstrates on the front end the tension between the Japanese political entities, the Japanese army, and the Japanese navy about this moving down this road of attacking the American fleet. Because there was, people just assumed that the Japanese hierarchy moved in lockstep under the emperor, and that wasn't the case at all. There were a lot of dynamics, and I think that's very well portrayed. The Japanese Navy, Yamamoto was very concerned about the fallout of this type of an attack and knew that the Army was in the driver's seat politically. And and they do a very good job of presenting, even-handedly, the facts of this movie. And that's probably why a lot of people panned it, because it wasn't rah-rah. This was an even-handed portrayal of all parties involved. And, you know, Mark, that's a good point that you brought up because, you know, it didn't 
it didn't portray the Japanese as like these villains. I mean, you saw the conflicts, uh, particularly with the foreign office. I mean, you almost felt sorry for the uh, for the Japanese ambassador. He's like, Jesus Christ, what are they doing to me? You know, I mean, you almost felt bad for the guy. Back to this movie, I think that this movie does a very good job of laying out, uh, like you all said, the prequel, and then presents the battle. Unlike Pearl Harbor, and I would say to any younger members of our listeners, you really need to watch Tor 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 to understand what took place. Now, yes, it's condensed, but unlike that travesty Pearl Harbor, which I saw at the theater on opening day because I thought, wow, they, they, they're going to, they're going to, you know, yep. look at this again and update it. And this could Sucker. be really good. And it was everything. Opening weekend. Was, oh, yeah. It was a piece of flaming shite on my doorstep. Um, this movie does a fantastic job of then unpacking the attack. And it, it's a very powerful, and I'm, I know you said pre-show, Steve, hard to watch part of movie. And I've, I don't know if any of you have been to Pearl. I, I went there during my honeymoon. Um, and if you've never been to the Arizona Memorial, it is a very somber and moving experience to the point that there were a number of Japanese tourists there when I was there. And I watched them very closely. And many of them went up to the wall on the Arizona Memorial and left flowers and notes. It, it was an interesting interplay. And the one takeaway from that was there were a number of German tourists who were sitting there and they had kind of looked around and then they started joking and laughing amongst themselves. And before the Americans could react, the Japanese turned on the crowds. Oh, really? Oh, it was, I started to turn, and before I could even say something, the Japanese basically walked over and said, you're not being respectful. Real quick, I'm not exonerating the Japanese. This was, you know, this was a sneak attack of epic proportions. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all sins are forgiven. Um, that took, that took Hiroshima and Nagasaki to deal with that problem. But, they understood the magnitude of the place they were at. It was a shrine, and they were respectful in that respect. Well, you know what? I will give this, and this is my, you know, sidebar political commentary, if you can even call it that. But, you know, the thing that was is, um, you know, the Japanese, and I'm just going to say it right off the bat, they, you know, they fought, a, they, they fought a filthy war. I mean, they were not. You know, they didn't respect the Geneva Conventions. I mean, they treated prisoners very badly. They treated civilians even worse. But I will say this. Um, in surrender, they were honorable. They held to the peace. And to this day, they are one of our strongest allies. So I'll give that to them. You know, if, you know, for anything it was, and one thing that I will always, I've always said, which is very interesting, when you look at the end of World War II, you saw two of the most militaristic nations in the world, you know, Germany and Japan. I mean, they, you know, there's, there's a history there, but after world war II, uh, you will look at two of the, you know, two nations that literally will do whatever it is to avoid conflict. I mean, even to the point of even sending peacekeepers. And I think it's, 
because World War II was the war that pretty much, you know, like I made the comment, you know, you, you woke up the dragon and he burned you down to the ground. And now it's, uh, and you realize if you, if you awaken the sleeping giant, this is what's going to happen. But, um, but, but to their, you know, to their credit, uh, two of our best allies. And I've got a lot of respect for them. So, and, and that's good, Mark, that they do. I mean, they've got the respect for the, you know, for the guys that are down there. So, uh, and, and the thing of it is, is that I look at, you know, the, you know, the soldiers and sailors on both sides. I mean, they were just doing what they were told, just like we do nowadays. I mean, I don't think anybody's out for blood and murder. I mean, you've got a few of them that are out there that do that. But, you know, overall, these guys are just doing what they're, you know, what they're ordered to do as soldiers. You know, we've we've never really, as as a group. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for this podcast at times, at times, uh, because we we've really never talked. I think a great deal about this movie together, and we've we've mentioned it. But I'm I'm glad to hear that you guys kind of had the same get the same reaction when you watch it. There is that. I don't, we got to stop referring to that other shitty movie, but Pearl Harbor, <laughs> the one thing that it does do right, and it is, it's when the, uh, the Japanese are flying in towards Hawaii, the emptiness I feel in my gut, it doesn't matter how many times I watch Tora 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 or Pearl Harbor, the planes flying in, it, it, this, this, this dread just comes over me. Because I know what I'm about to see. It, it's, it's one of the toughest things for me to ever watch on anything on TV. It, it, it's this, this sinking feeling I get in my stomach at the, right before the attack happens. Because it, it, it resonates with me what we went through on that day. Which has only been rivaled by what we went through on 9-11. And... The fact that many people lost their lives, some of them didn't even know. Um, it was just over before they even understood what was going on. You know, that attack goes on forever. And to know that it went on for hours, um, I just can't really even under, imagine what, 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 what they were just thrust into and what people were thinking. But what always catches me uh, or surprises me is the response to men in those situations. And I got to think that for the most part, you know, especially when, is it Halsey kind of floats into the harbor with, um, um, in the carrier and, you know, his, you know, his just matter of fact approach to it. Uh, I'm sure that's what men do in those times of crisis. But I think the actors did a great job of just portraying the dread that, they felt or that was going on with within them and 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 the other the people around them um it really is it's just a somber part of the movie just to make a point like what you said like that dread and that horrible feeling you feel because i it's the same way i mean you watch this you even watch that horrible movie pearl harbor uh, aside, <laughs> aside from the you know the bonus parts of kate beckinsale that's in it but that's a side point yeah, you you get this dread because you're just like, my God. Um, because I think a lot of us, we have this 
belief, like you said, up until 9-11 and even after that, you know, we're untouchable. You, you shouldn't be able to do this to us. You, I mean, this we're Americans, God damn it. You know, I will not have you besmirch the United States of America. I mean, <laughs> you just don't do this to us. I mean, this right. is kind of our attitude. And when it happens, it's like, God damn, that hurts. Well, and but, I think it's magnified by the sense of we're we're – we're all very well versed in uh, in World War II history. Yeah, we know what is then going to happen. Right. That from forty two to forty five, this is a war to the knife. There is there is no other way to put it. the The Pacific War is a is a brutal war to the knife, and you know what is coming if you have any knowledge of the history of the Pacific War. Well, and a a thing that. The movie does well, which has been commented on, is it's basically two sections. You have the events leading up to the attack, and then you have the attack. And the movie is about 50-50, maybe a little more on the things before. But the early part, it's peacetime. And people are going about, you know, even though we're talking, you know, about, you know, generals and secretaries of state and admirals and such, they're going about their peacetime activities, and y'all, and it shows you sort of the bureaucratic or uh, you know just peacetime attitudes that are going on. Even the Japanese that are like gearing up to attack, and they know they're going to be attacking. It's low key. It's not like it's quite real yet. And a scene that I thought was pretty, uh, a, a series of scenes actually that I thought was pretty effective was. Uh, I forget the name of the naval commander that was the, uh, you know, one of the code breakers. But that scene the night before, when he's got, you know, these intercepts, and he's going like, I have to get this to the decision makers, and he's got his wife driving him around, and just that little bit of interplay back and forth to where you know he just wants to like you know save the world and stop a war. And he can't tell her anything because it's top secret. And there comes that point where he, she's been driving him all over Washington. He's been banging on doors. And as Jeff said, you know, find people aren't home. You can't get them. They're out somewhere. Who knows? And then finally, they have a hot dog. She gets him a hot dog. And to me, for some reason, that's just like, I'm like, wow. I mean, I can imagine this guy has been running for hours and hours. Yeah, he'd want a hot dog, but it's not quite the war. I mean, the tension's building, the tension's building, but it's not quite the war. And then, like Jeff said, a little bit later, what you're seeing is these planes forming up and flying in, then all hell breaks loose. Ken, I think, I want to just jump in here real quick and say that I think this movie does a great job of building up the tension. I I oh, yeah. get I get glued into this every time. I've read some stuff. There's there's enough criticism out there about this movie. I don't I find it unfounded. The but the way that they go about telling the story and and just how it there's this slow roll down the hill until we get really, you know, and until it's we're in free fall. Yeah, Mark said there's two two parts of the movie. Totally agree. I think the first part of the movie is outstanding. I think the, you know the second part. Uh, you, you can't capture that that uh, those events on camera like they did now with CGI. I just don't think you could. Uh, 
But I think the tension when you've got people running around and people making phone calls and, you know, people saying they need confirmation and, you know, once it happens, you know, the, the guy, you know, saying you want confirmation, there's your confirmation. You know, and the stunned, aghast look that these guys have when it all, you know, when all the pieces fall into place and just that, oh, my God, we figured it out. And at that point, it's too late. Well, I was just going to say, you know, along your lines, there are so many scenes in the begin in that in that lead up part, especially as it's winding down, where you 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 really get the feeling how close it really came to, you know, Pearl Harbor being a Japanese debacle, because you know, like there's that one scene where I think uh, they they finally get to I think Admiral Stark, you know, chief of naval operations, and he got him and his staffers sitting around his office. And he's read it. It's like everybody's going, "This is war. We got to, you know, we got to put the word out." And he like reaches for the phone, and then for whatever reason, it's like, "Well, you know, it's, it can almost seem like, well, a phone call is going to cost a lot of money. It'd be better to send a telegraph or something." I don't know what he was thinking, but like all he had to do is pick up that phone and say, "Hey, the Japanese are going to bomb you in a couple hours." It would have been a whole different world. And, and, and I'm still saying, General E.G. Marshall gets the General Marshall. And you know, General Marshall and all his guys are going like, "Well, this this is war. You know, send a send a dispatch immediately." And then he, you know, they get the dispatch to the communications office. And that guy's going like, "I can't read the general's handwriting. Is that an H or is that an I?" I you know, it's just stuff like that where you you can imagine these guys just want to slap people, but they don't. And yeah, it's you know, it's, it so, rem- it's tense. It reminds me of there is an, a a a quote attributed to the re-Indian scout, Bloody Knife, right before the attack, before Custer's attack at Little Bighorn, where he says, we are embark- we are traveling down a road we do not know. And I'm watching this movie, and that just came back to me when I watched it this time, because at that moment, all of these, all, everything is merging onto this road we do not know. And you, we know, and that, I think that's what's so hard for us to say is we're watching this, and it's just like if you if you study the Battle of Little Bighorn, the same thing. You're going, we know the road you're going down. We know what's going to happen. It don't is going do to, it. Don't write or 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 get off on the exit ramp. And, and and that statement always has has clung to with me for a variety of reasons, personal or professional or whatever. But I, I just that just came to my mind watching this as this begins to unravel is we are heading down a road we do not know. And all parties, not just the Americans, the Japanese, you you sense that there is especially there's a great scene at the very end with Yamamoto where he, he goes and steps out onto the bridge of the, the battleship and he's just standing by himself and he says, you know, I've we have awoken a, a sleeping dragon or a sleeping giant. He knows we have down, we've gone down this road and we do not know what's going to happen. Unfortunately for him or fortunately for us in 1943, something very bad happens to him, courtesy of some P-38s. The, that, that's another reason why the, the critics didn't like it. It is very much a Shakespearean tragedy. Well, you know, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think one of the reasons a lot of the critics didn't like this movie and I will just say this right off the bat that, you know, that first hour, hour and a half, it's slow. I mean, this movie just, it drags. 
you're pretty much pretty much watching an episode of the History Channel. You're you're seeing the developments, and I'm not knocking it in that sense, but I'm talking about for a movie that you want to get people to go out and watch. This is not going to get people to the theaters. Now the you know the the second half when the attack starts, that's what people want to see. They want to see action. They want to see this. They want to see this stuff going on. So that's what's going to happen. And I think the other part of the critics didn't like is I think it was the way they portrayed the Japanese. Because like you said, I mean, this is what twenty five years after the war. You got to remember a lot of the guys that uh, fought in the war at this point they're in their thirties, maybe maybe late forties. Unless they were, like, really old when they got into the war. So, I mean, you had guys like my age at this point who were probably, you know, in in the war early on. And, you know, still have maybe some bitterness and stuff like that. So, maybe they didn't like the way the Japanese are portrayed. Because this movie portrayed the Japanese in a very honorable sense. Not like you see in the propaganda movies, you know, the John Wayne movies. No, they, they weren't just stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they were they were serious people doing, I mean, serious work for their country. Right, and 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 they showed even, you know, the fact that, you know, we're only doing this because we really don't. I mean, in their mind, they didn't have another choice. Because you remember even that one scene, and I thought it was a very powerful scene. Obviously, I didn't put it in, in the sound clip because none of us speak Japanese, and I'm sure we had, I think we have maybe one Japanese listener. Who knows? But I, I thought the one interesting scene was on the, the on the ship when Yamamoto was talking about, you know, we're, we're going to be setting off, but if peace can be secured, we're going to turn back. And a bunch of the officers you know, stood up or like, you know, to turn back would be dishonorable. You know, and they all got indignant. And he's like, if, you know, this these are the orders from the emperor. If you can't handle it, resign now. Because, I because even, the emperor is God. Yeah, and it was, this is what the orders are. And, you know, whatever you think your dishonor is, this is what the orders are. And I think even Yamamoto, I, I think as like the Navy guys, I think some of the Navy guys are like, yeah, we don't really want to deal with this. Because I think a lot of them knew that if the United States was going to basically say, okay, we're going to come after you, they knew they couldn't win because they knew they couldn't outproduce us. We had more people. We had more industry. You were not going to beat us. It would be very tough. It would be very tough to do that. Yeah. I mean, basically what they had to do was, it was make it so costly. And when you read about the Pacific, good Lord, it was costly. That was not the place to be. Well, in this movie, you know, in the end especially, that, like you say, the closing scene where Yamamoto is getting the reports back is a portent of what's coming. Again, it's the end, it's the end of... The, the preparation, and now we're going to get down and it's going to get dirty. But he sees it coming. Mm-hmm. And he also knows that, you know, the way that this all came down, it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's too late to fix. It's, it's going to be, it's, you know, the Americans are going to just come after Japan, hammer and tongs. They actually didn't, I mean, I, not to make this a big history discussion, because we do this all the time on these kind of movies. 
But it could have been a lot worse for Japan because, you know, we, we devoted a whole lot of resources to Europe. I mean, if we decided, hey, right. we'll just go after Japan, it would have been a, a whole different war. Probably could have been over a year earlier. The Japanese have Hitler to thank for that. Yep. Yes. <clears throat> and a lot of people don't understand that war. We were literally fighting two major theaters of war. Yeah, it's a big historical what if, but all Hitler had to do is stick a cork in his mouth, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we would have been fighting Japan, period. Well, we, we declared war on Japan. Most people don't realize that. Yeah. Germany declared war on us. Yes. And I'm sure von Ribbentrop was like, Shut up! Yeah, there's a lot of shite. Because that's it. We went to war with Japan. We didn't go to war with Germany. But in the end, we devoted more resources to Germany. Well, that was the thing. I mean, it was part of the the alliance that they signed. It's like, you know, Germany said, well, well, the Japanese declared war. Why? And I've always said that. That was one of those things where, you know, the one treaty that Hitler said, oh, you know, I'm going to abide by this, was the one that literally cost him the war. Because... I still, to this day, always say, you know, had Germany not declared war on us, you'd have a hard, you'd be hard pressed to get Congress to go, hey, let's go get these guys too. Why? What did they hey, do I'm, to us? I, I'm going to say one last thing, and we got to get back to the movie. Yeah, go off on a history tirade. But <laughs> as long as you say on, one last on thing on the treaty, I, don't, I, I have to get the last word in because that's me. But you're a lawyer. The, the tripartite alliance between Japan, Germany, and Italy was a defense pact. It agreed right. that, you know, Germany agreed that, like, if somebody attacks Japan, we'll come to their aid. Nobody attacked Japan. Japan attacked us. J- J- you know, Hitler could have stopped by his, you know, treaty obligations, and again, just said, like, oh, I'm too bad for Japan. To but let's you. talk about the movie. We're, we're getting way off track. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, one thing I did want to bring up is, and I'm, I've been looking on the IMDb uh, website, and I can't find it, but I saw it during the credits of the movie, but the music in this movie sure. was Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith, yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. This had to have been one of his early ones, because uh, it doesn't have he that... Did cla- Pat- he did Patton as well. He did Patton right about the same time he did this movie. Oh, did he do Patton? They both, okay. Yeah, they both came out about the same time. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because if I remember I owned... The soundtrack, because I like the music to patent, but you couldn't get the music to patent in a soundtrack unless you bought the Tora Tora Tora, the patent and Tora 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 pack. So he did them both. And I like this music in the sense of it's a juxtaposition. Is it, is it, is it soundtrack music of, yeah, I'm going to Star Wars, I'm going to put it on and go run to it? No, but <laughs> it, it, it's, it's appropriate for this movie. It gives you the flavor. If you're the Japanese, you have you 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 have the you have the Japanese music. You have the American music, and I I I think it does a very good job of driving the movie and giving you a sense of drama. Oh, I agree, guys. Any particular scenes that you want to talk about uh, before we get to? I- I've got one. All right. The scene where Admiral Kimmel steps out of his house 
And whether this happened or not, it's a beautifully framed scene. He steps, he's called for his car, you know, he's heard the attack is underway, and he steps out of his house onto his front yard, and it's overlooking Pearl Harbor. And right. he sees the Pacific fleet disintegrating before his eyes. And I think, is it Martin Balsam? Is that who plays Kimmel? Yes. Yes. He, he's standing there, and in that 10 seconds where they've got a close-up of him, you realize he's just watching not only his personal career evaporate, but he's tried to do things. He's tried to do the right thing. He's tried to follow orders, and everything is just, and all his men, his command, everything is disintegrating in front of him. And still he, you know, he gets in his car and he drives off, and he's still going to be Admiral Kimmel and, and do his job at the best he can in a situation that is that has just spun out of his control. There's nothing he can do. And and that's really well done later in the movie where the spent round just misses him. Right. Um yes. but that scene where he's standing there and he and he sees the Japanese the first wave of the Japanese attack hitting Pearl Harbor is just for lack of a, a better word, it's very poignant. Yes. I would agree, Mark. Jeff, you got any thoughts? Except for the, I mean, obviously the the combat scenes are 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 are, are very well done. Um, I actually like the the clerical scenes of you know papers being you know taken off of printers and off of you know um, you know wire machines and and th- that whole thing ramping up right before. I mean, like you know about the fifteen twenty minutes beforehand, where things are really ramping up. It the the drama that you guys mentioned earlier really starts to take hold and you you really are i really get into the, the 15 minutes before the attack where you know they're watching clocks where um where and and, and everything is you know if you notice the movie you know is, is you know is 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 being run by a clock and people keep referring to it and looking to it and you're you're I am always it, it. The intensity is always getting me ready for the attack, and then it's like once the attack starts, it's just it. Or right before it starts, it it lulls me into this just depression of sorts, and and then I'm you know then I'm into the attack scene, and that's the thing I love about this movie. But like I said, it doesn't matter what part of movie I come into whenever this is on TV, and this is on TV a lot. Um, you know, I I'm stopping to watch it, whether it's the radar scene, um, or 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 just you know the beginning of the movie. Um, it's it is to me the story, the way they tell the story of this movie. I really appreciate. I know Steve, what you're saying is it's it's it is dull, it's boring, um, but I really think the storytelling of this movie. Um, and, and they do it, I think, a pretty good job in two hours and 24 minutes. Let's call it two hours. I think they get a lot done and the message across very effectively. No, I agree. Good point. Ken, thoughts? I um, I can do something I've done on a number of times on these uh, podcasts, but I can report that uh, my dad took me to see this movie at the theater. I went to the Arlington Theater, not far from my present home. I was about 13. My little brother went with me, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. And back then, you know, a 13-year-old history nut, model maker, everything else, a thing that 
stuck with me and stuck with me again when I was watching it is all those scenes of the attacks on the airfield when they're just blowing up, you know, here's 25 P-40s. We're going to destroy them before your eyes. You know, all those scenes where the, you know, they they mocked up and made replicas of, you know, P-40s, PBYs, B-17s. And then they, as we point out, they, they carefully choreographed these with explosions and people running and vehicles careening. And that is good film work. And as I said earlier, those scenes wound up being ripped off and stuck in all sorts of other movies and TV shows for the next couple of decades because they were so well done. But to me, again, uh, as a little kid, I knew there's not that many, there's only a few P-40s left in the world. Well, in this movie, they're, they're flying, they're shooting, they're blowing up. And I just thought that was awesome back in the day. And I still think it's an impressive job that they've done. You know, Ken, if I could jump in real quick to your point, the other thing I thought was the aerial sequences. Uh, yeah. the, the, you know, yes, they're T6 Texans, they're for the Japanese aircraft. The aerial sequences, the dogfight between the P-40s, all of the aerial sequences were non-CGI, and you just—I I watched those going, "Oh my God!" They—they they had a lot of pilots in the air with these aircraft, and they carefully choreographed this. And you think, okay, with CGI, it's no big deal because some computer geeks are just creating this. They had to catch all that on film. That aerial ballet is brilliantly done in this movie. In Mark, Speaking I'm, of aerial scenes, I want to jump in. I, I don't. I, I've heard that. I've heard this is the case. I've also read that it's not the case. But a scene that really didn't happen was there was not a bomber that came down and crashed with one landing gear down and all in Pearl Harbor. But they have a scene where it happens in the movie in an otherwise very historical movie. And from what I understand. You know, they had a small squadron of B-17s flying around for this movie, and yep. then all of a sudden they got, you know, one of the guys in the B-17 called down to the director, we're like, hey, we got a problem, our wheel stuck, we're going to crash. So they said, hold on, you got enough fuel to, you know, hang up there for a half an hour while we set up the cameras, and, and they filmed that plane coming down from different angles, and it was a totally, yes shot of opportunity. It wasn't supposed to happen. So they made a big little storyline in the movie about, okay, the plane's up there and it's going to crash. And then it does. So how many movies crashing perfectly good B-17? This one did. Well, Mark, like you said, uh, the aerial scenes in this movie are fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you said, you look at the CGI stuff they do today. Yeah, it looks like CGI. You look at this, it's fantastic because it's real, and you know it's real, and it looks good. And whoever the hell was doing the filming, my God, uh, can't can't get enough credit to that guy. And and well, one of the, the great the little humorous, battleships too. Yeah, and one of the great humorous. There's a there's a moment of wry humor, is the the Stearman aircraft where the the lady is training her pilot in the little yellow biplane. 
And all the Japanese are around her. Everybody's looking at each other. Even the Japanese are like, what the hell? That is a great scene. It, it, it is. It's so juxtaposed to what's going on. But And it did occur. And you just, you just, there's a moment where I kind of chuckle at that scene, even though I know what's coming. And it's a great little throwaway scene. Yeah. I love she just puts that thing in a barrel roll. Just like, boom, I'm taking <laughs> well, over. The Japanese are kind of like, uh, okay, see ya. <laughs> I just love that. I'm taking over. <laughs> she just, oh, that's a great scene. All right, guys, um, it is about that time. Oh, well, it's that time for gentlemen. What you drinking? Muncie, what do you got? You know, Steve, for years now, I have heard you spout off about this damn Old Fezziwig. Here we go. My dear lovely wife went out this last week and, and bought the you know the winter the winter pack. Now that you know what? Alright, I didn't put any money out for this, so I'll, I'll I'll give this thing a shot. It's not that bad. Steve, it's really not that bad. Oh, no, oh, okay, nice. <laughs> Thank you for you know mentioning it. I um I would not have probably I've I have tried spice beers in the past and um they they, they've had a uh a makeup to them that i really haven't cared about but i have to say it's pretty well balanced um i was really afraid of the i'm not a big cinnamon fan um or ginger i'm not a not a ginger fan at all and i I think the ones in the past that i've really tried have been really ginger heavy and um and this is not the 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 ginger and the cinnamon and the uh, orange in it actually, I think, are really well balanced. So I'm, I, I understand why you like it, and yeah. uh, and uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna also give it a thumbs up. Very nice, uh, Jeff. I was just gonna say because you know they, they used to have another one and they don't have it anymore. It was and it wasn't the Fezziwig. The Fezziwig wasn't the spicy uh, type beer. Gosh, I'm trying to remember what they call. I think it was like the Christmas ale. It was like a different, uh, and they don't do it anymore. It's not in the uh, Christmas pack. So I think that might have been the one that you probably would not have liked. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, but I be honest with you, Jeff. I'm just going to say when you uh, when you brought up the Fezziwig, and there was like a moment of hesitation. Uh, <laughs> I ha- I had this queued up for you in case you had a bad review of it. Son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> Because I was, I, I was gonna say, I already had the car keys. Uh, <laughs> Emily already had the uh, the shovel and the chainsaw and a, and a bag of wine in the car. So, uh, well, and and that's was was is that wait is that for me or is that for Martin? I'm sorry, the man who shall not be named. <laughs> you shall not be named. No, no. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I know that I know she's got a secret stash in her closet <laughs> for the next time I come over because the last time I dogged on uh, that uh, that completely overrated band Green Day. Oh, but, she's over. Um, she's over that. That that's all. Because she didn't why? Because she's realized what a worthless band that is. <laughs> Here Sucks. we Here we go. <laughs> all right, moving on, Mister Mister Slover. What do you got, buddy? All right, uh, local brewery down here called West Sixth comes out with a seasonal beer called the Christmas Ale, and it's one of those that if you 
it, they it's very limited because it's a small microbrewery here. It's a good brewery, very good brewery. We are nowhere near what you guys have in the way of breweries. We have three down here, maybe four. But they come out with a Christmas ale, and if you don't get it within the first week, you'll never get it. I missed it last year. I picked it up this year. I had had one on tap last year. wasn't impressed because it was too spicy to to Herr Muncy's Herr Klopex point. Um, <laughs> because I'm like you, Jeff. It, you know, you can just be assaulted by coriander and cinnamon only so much. So I picked up two six packs, thinking, okay, if I don't like this that much, I'll bring it up when I see you guys in a few weeks. I, it is. It is a wonderful Christmas ale. It does have the spices. They dialed it back. They learned from last year. Um, it's a very potent ale, and it, it. But much like old Fezziwig, it just has enough of the hint of the spices of coriander and cinnamon and orange. I think everybody dumps those three in. I think some people try paprika for just the hell of it, just to spice things up. But this this is a very nice. Christmas ale. I'll, I have a six pack set back to bring you guys up so you can sample it and give me your opinion. But you know, tis the season, and I thought I'd crack one open. I did have and opened a 2011 Trader Joe's Christmas ale, and the prepare to bleep this out, Steve. The cork ripped off, <laughs> and the damn thing sprayed everywhere, and I managed to get about a third of the beer in my glass and the rest of it all over parts of my garage. Um, and I was rather disappointed that it had not aged that well. It was actually rather watery. So I I grabbed a Christmas ale and, um, you know, Christmas ales are what they are. There's there's not much variations on the theme, but but they're good. And you don't, I don't know about you, you two, Jeff and Steve, but I can only drink about one. I couldn't drink two or three of these in a row because they just become too, too um, sickly sweet in their taste because of the spices. But this is a very good beer, and I'll bring up a six pack for you. Cool, nice. Yeah, and I know what you mean about those. And uh, in keeping with that, uh, gentlemen, I am drinking the uh, the Harpoon Winter Warmer. Uh, Harpoon is a, uh, a brewery mm-hmm. out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. This one's pretty good. It's uh, made out of nutmeg and cinnamon, and it's very mild. It's pretty good. Uh, like you said, I could probably put away about uh, maybe three, and after that I have to go gargle. Uh, there's an aftertaste. There's a back end to these. Yeah, there's things. a back end to them, and, but, I mean, they're good. They're very tasty. Don't get me wrong, folks. I mean, they're great. And I've had some other stuff from by Harpoon, and I couldn't tell you what the hell it was. But this one's really good. This is actually a really nice winter beer. Uh, it's a nice little Christmas ale. Uh, highly recommend that one. Uh, so go out and get it. So Nice. Uh, Where did you find it? Where did you find it? Kroger. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Kroger. I, that I'm that just, place, I'm telling you. Seriously. The, the, they 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 have got a business model there for their beer section that is quite impressive. They it's, are. It's not. It's. I mean. It's. You know. They're they're a bigger market than I think uh, Trader Joe's. I mean Trader Joe's. You know, finds some nice quality beers, but I mean, you find these little gems occasionally at Kroger. Yeah. 
Well, Kroger's got the, they've got one place there. It's called Build Your Own Six Pack. One of the other ones I grabbed over there was a, uh, from our good and dear friends at the Stone Brewing Company. <clears throat> what I was drinking earlier, actually, these are, I, I grabbed about three of these, was the Leviathan Amber Ale. And I mm. knocked about, about three of those before this one. So, uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now. And it's very good. And, um, be honest with you, some of the grocery stores, they've got uh, liquor and wine departments that rival a lot of the beer ones, which, yeah. um, you know, for folks, uh, and not to get off on a rant here, and it's not going to be a rant, but we're one of the few states left in the union that, do, uh, that don't sell alcohol on Sundays. No, 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 Steve. I think we are the only state now or is that it are we the only one i believe that the the other backwards ass state um (laughs) even kentucky got around to it (laughs) well there you go so it just goes to show it is almost embarrassing yeah so see how (laughs) is the leviathan ale this year i mean that that thing can be pretty uh potent actually it's very it's it's pretty mild it's really good i i like it it is not. Um, it's not uh, uh, suck your gums and puck your butt. And it's. I like it. It's very good. I got. Uh, you know. I, I had a taste test on one and bought uh, about three of them, which wow. I drank. Which I drank already. Can you tell? No, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> I am. I. I feel capital. All right. So there you go, folks. That's what uh, I'm drinking. I had the Leviathan uh, by our good dear friends from the Stone Brewing Company and the. A uh, Harpoon Winter Warmer, which is outstanding. So please, uh, if you can find those, get them. You will not be disappointed. All right. And last, and certainly not least. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. My darling, I can't get up your All right, Ken, talk to us. There's not much to say. I am actually probably the least tonight. Uh, wow. Last week and through the weekend, I was fighting that sinus cold, crappy, whatever it was that's been going around. And I'm still haven't shaken the whole thing. So it just laid me low. And I didn't really do anything last weekend except lay around the house and hack. Uh, this week, I you know, worked and everything. The only... Exciting stuff I did was I did go out to uh, Brass Ring down at Fountain Square with the guy, one of my coworkers. We hung out there. Had I personally had four uh, Bacardi's and uh, diet, and uh, they came home and had some more Bacardi and diet. So, so that's I been still, it. I still, whenever you say that, I think it's a strip club. I I have to remind myself it's not. <laughs> I know every time he says, "Amen, brass, brother." I see a Brass Ring, really. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> Every time he Jeff, starts- Jeff, I, you'll you'll want to know that tonight the younger, hotter, busty Asian bartender was working. <laughs> Damn you, Rody! <laughs> not, not that the older, hot, busty Asian bartender is anything to you know put down, but she was off for some reason. They're all very nice. They take good care of me. And that's what matters. Yes. And they, they did. Yes, I did what matters. Indeed. So that's that's it. I got that's pretty pretty dull time for ten. Wow. 10. God. What about 10. this weekend? No. 10. This weekend, 
Uh, oh, tomorrow is going to be a busy day. I mean, I'll get up early and I'll start running and I'll be running all day. Uh, we have our office Christmas party, uh, uh, which will wind up at Eddie Merlot's for dinner, which I'm looking forward to. And then I have to leave there and go to a costume party, which I will be going at. It's, it's a, you have to come to this party as a celebrity. So I'll be going as Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> And I'll have you know right now, oh, I am currently holding the bat whose head will soon be chewed off with that costume. Oh, my God. You're going to paint your fingernails? I'm not. I'm not doing the entire thing. I did not get the tattoo sleeve makeup that you can get. Uh, it's going to be kind of a low-key, kind of lame costume because I don't want to go and do anything permanent. I can't I'm, wait for Facebook pictures. Thank you. I'm <laughs> there will be some. <laughs> All right, folks, that is it with Brother What You're Drinking. Now we're going to go on to clips. Clips are a favorite part of the show. And this is number one. I call this one, Bosun Needs a New Whistle. That that was like really bad. <laughs> I think my dog just heard that. <laughs> really? That's wow. that's how you're gonna announce the Admiral coming on? It's like wow. All right, number two. Look at that entrance to the harbor. Sink one good sized ship in the channel and you bottle up our whole fleet. Well, you know as well as I do, this harbor is a mousetrap. The captain of the Nevada made the smart choice to beat her. Yep. All right, number three. I like this part by uh, Admiral Halsey. I tell you, Kim, I think they've gone nuts back in Washington. Now, how in the hell am I supposed to fight a task force if they send my destroyers and my cruisers to the Atlantic? That damn ocean is a swimming hole compared to the Pacific. <laughs> he's right. And, he, and he's right. When you look at the Atlantic compared to the Pacific, it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> You could tell he was a badass because he had that gigantic stogie that never left his mouth. Right. Okay, guys, I'm just going to say this right now. Was he the Ron Perlman of that generation? <laughs> wow. Good catch. See? Okay. I wasn't dealing with it. That's James Whitmore, folks. Yes. Yeah. You know. Great character actor. Yeah, great, great character, character actor. Yeah. The only thing I can really remember him from was Shawshank Redemption, but yep. when you look at him, yep. when you look at him in this movie, you're like, "Wow, man, that's like a really young Ron Perlman." Uh, next one here, I like this part because it kind of puts a little bit of the history and where we were in this warrant in perspective. We can't search the sea approaches around Hawaii unless we have the plane, sir. One hundred and eighty B seventeens. For God's sakes, man, that's more than the total number existing in the States now. <laughs> that's pretty much what we were, like, putting over Germany at any given time yeah. by 1943. <laughs> there is some good, sarcastic writing in this movie. Yes, uh -huh. there is. Yeah. If you it's listen, fun. I mean, there, I mean there, it's, there's some solid writing. All right, uh, let's see, number five. Maybe your boys are finally getting the reins. I hope so, sir. Who's next? Lieutenant Dickinson. Well, you 
can tell Lieutenant Dickinson from me, he couldn't hit a bull in the butt with a bass fiddle. Yes, sir. There it is. Yeah. Some of that witty writing. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. Number six. Incredible. Holding information from the prison. Security man found a copy of one of our intercepts in a wastebasket at the White House. The truth is, the brass don't trust some of the men close to the president. Does anyone trust anyone anymore? Do you even trust your own wife? Do you? <clears throat> no comment. No comment. I can neither confirm nor deny, as my good and dear friend <laughs> Jeff Muncie would <Yeah>. say. <laughs> Jeff, I have no reason at all to have any doubts about my spouse's integrity. Right. I'm sure. Oh, I don't have a spouse. <laughs> all right. Uh, next one. <laughs> next one here. God. Wow. My God. Keel was on. Uh, Keel was on the Talking Dead this last week. <laughs> Epic. That's right. a funny dude. All right. Next one. We've got 183 combat planes on this base, General. The way they're parked right now, a one-eyed monkey hanging from a 10-cent balloon could scatter them all to hell with just one hand grenade. Don't blame me. General Short gave the order. <laughs> a monkey with a 10-cent balloon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and a grenade. Don't forget the grenade. <laughs> grenade, yes. <laughs> all right. Monkeys and balloons are very easy to find. Grenades are a little tougher. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, Here, here's the one here. I call this Get Your Feet Set. If hostilities cannot be avoided, the United States desires that Japan commit the first overt act. This policy should not be construed as restricting you to a course of action that might jeopardize your defense. Well, I guess they're getting ready to have a big check mark in that category. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it's called Get Your Feet Set, boys. Uh, all right, next one. Japanese naval forces may attack the Philippines, Thailand, the Crop Peninsula, and Borneo. This dispatch is to be considered a war warning. What well, could we narrow it down a little more? Well, a thing that that pointed out was, you know, the weekend before Pearl Harbor, they really thought they were going to get hit that weekend. I mean, everything was built up. I mean, they went on full alert. The movie showed it. And so there's a, a, a you know boy who cried wolf sort of aspect to it. The next week, these guys are going around after everybody went, you know, the week before and freaked out. This so was like, oh, hum, you know, again, you know, these guys are saying it's going to happen. Again, helped with the tension. Right. Uh, let's see. Number 10. Level with me. I want to clear the rectum. If I run into a Jap ship, what action do I take? Use your common sense. That's the best damn order I ever had. <laughs> Use harsh language, I guess, is the other one. Yeah, pretty much. All right, last and certainly not least, this is the uh, sexist comment of the entire movie. Well, if you told me we were invited to the White House, I would have dressed. You know Mrs. Roosevelt. Although she's very informal personally, I've heard she's a stickler for protocol. And Darling, will you shut up and drive? <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to capture that sound clip. 
<laughs> on my darling. <laughs> but she did buy him a hot dog. I mean, she, she wasn't that thick. And a Coke. Do you yeah. Remember? Yeah, she got him a hot dog and a Coke. Yeah, in the little, that little uh, distinctive little Coke 8 or 16 ounce bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Like that. Oh. Would you shut, shut up, up and drive? drive. <laughs> well, he was getting frustrated. I mean, he, he'd been running his ass all over D.C. just trying to find somebody home. There, Steve, there's there's a clip there's, you're going to have. Yep. You're going to have to put on the desktop. Shut up and drive. <laughs> oh, and man. I think we found our irrelevant female role. Of <laughs> wow. Fantastic movie. That's it with clips, folks. Now it is time to move on to, Ken, the top movies of 1970. I'm, I'm on it. See, you probably thought I forgot about you, didn't you? Uh, no, I actually counted on you forgetting me because you <laughs> always forget me. You know, we kind of need that MGM lion roar right before oh, this. God, you know, I have to do that. That would be nice. I, well, it's just the fact that, like, you've gone several times and, oh, Ken, I want you to do this. And will you do it? Sure, I'll do it. And then it's like, Ho oh, hum, let's let's blow Ken off. Okay, hold on. Um, hold, 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 hold on. All right, Ken, it is now time for you to give us the top movies of nineteen seventy. Thank you. Nineteen seventy was actually a pretty impressive uh year. To start out, well, not number one is not a man cave movie. And I am sorry that I'm telling you guys this, but it's a love story. Uh I knew you were going to say that. Because love means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> number two, airport, the original airport. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I Not airplane, but airport. 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 That was actually, never mind. No, don't say it. I'm, I'm not going to. Number three, MASH. We just talked about MASH a little while ago. Oh, yeah. Jeff, wouldn't you admit that is a great and fantastic movie? I think we ought to do it sometime. I mean, I, I think it is it is it is top notch. I think mm. Steve would like it. Um, you know, it's uh it's well written. Um, you know, it uh, I I think the cinematography is great and um I think it's uh, you know, you know, worthy of a main K review. <laughs> Number 4. Patton. There you go. There's there a go. now. There's a man cave movie, and we and did we that. reviewed it. We did you review did. it. You, you know what? I, I I meant to say this earlier. This uh, Tora Tora Tora. I got this on a DVD combo set that included mm-hmm. Patton, and I want to say the longest day. Mm-hmm. Tora Tora Tora, and there was one other. Um, right, the Bridget Ramagan. It may have been. But um, I, it was one of those that when I got my DVD player, I was like, I want to go out. I'm going to buy a few, few movies. And uh, that, that I was like, I can't pass this deal up. So oh, the classics. Uh, it, they are the classics. Patton, Patton is a great movie. Uh, number five, Woodstock, the documentary of the famous rock concert. Number six, The Aristocats. Oh, dear mercy. Oh, God. That was 1970. In 1970, Aristocats came out. Disney, Cartoon Cats. I think everybody's watched it. Number seven, Little Big Man. A good movie. It is a good movie. Interesting, quirky. 
Yes. Uh, number eight, Ryan's Daughter. Oh, damn. Oh. Which I actually liked at one level. I mean, it's a pot boiler romance thing, but it's it's interesting. Beautiful Goes scenery. Goes along with it, your rum chata. R- Blow me. Is that, uh, is that, hey, Jeff, is that, uh, is that billboard still up? I, last time I looked, it sure was. You know, it has a, it has a guy sitting with a girl and he's handing her a drink and, you know, his picture Ken up there. For what it's worth, tomorrow morning, my mom and I will be having lunch with, uh, my friend, the rum chata addict. So. Uh, number nine, Torah, Torah, Torah. Ooh, this was the ten. this was yeah. one of the top ten movies in 1970. It did well that year. Wow. And number ten, Chariots of the Gods. Gods. <laughs> what do you think about it? that? Was number ten, <laughs> and it vanished because it's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> no, it's not, man. They practically own South America. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nice. Well done, Ken. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, the only reason that no one actually watches Chariots of the Gods anymore is the men in black actually neuralize the entire populace, and nobody remembers it's out there. (laughs) Nice. Oh, wow. All right, folks. Well, there you go. That is the top ten movies of 1970 when this movie came out. So it is now time to move on to... The Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. All right, let's see. Number one. Uh, did anyone jump through a window? There was a lot of blown windows and blasted windows, but I think I don't think anybody jumped through one. Nope. Nope. No one actually went through a window, which is uh, interesting. You would have thought there would have been one in this movie. All right, uh, let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in this movie? No. Well, there was actually two female roles in this movie, and neither, and both of them were perfectly relevant. Yes, the, the pilot and the naval officer's wife who was told to drive. And then there was, <laughs> there was Miss Clay, you forgot the assistant in the intelligence True. office, yes. She seemed very competent. She was. All right. Uh, number three. Ah! <laughs> was never gets old. Was there a Wilhelm scream? Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? I can say with one hundred percent confidence, no. No, and there should have been one. Wow. I think they dubbed one in on the Japanese version. And <laughs> they might have. All right. Next. Was there a montage in this movie? This movie didn't really lend itself to a montage. I didn't catch. No. 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 Not not what we're used to. No. Well, wait a minute. Okay, I'm going to... This may be a stretch. I'm going to let Ken decide. um, Because Ken's always fair and impartial in fence writing. What about the... The Japanese preparations on the carriers for the the the, the attack. You were know, they they were loading up the planes. And yes. Off and 
that was stretched out. And, and what we're talking about here is there's a lengthy scene. Again, it's building the tension. It's not like, okay, take off and go bomb Pearl Harbor. They show one at a time, plane after plane, taking off from a carrier. Uh, they actually filmed it on the USS Yorktown. They had to rent the carrier to film the scenes. Uh, it had a montage feel to it because it was showing a lot of action and it was trying to, to show in a small a bunch of small snippets something bigger coming together. But I wouldn't call it a montage. Okay. You know, right. But you know what? I actually, I, I will disagree. Um, I will move that it was a montage. I actually do agree with what Jeff is saying. I, I see where he's coming from. So I will, I will second the motion. Yes. Mark it down. Mark. Steve's agreed with me. Mark. You know, Steve, we've done actually a lot of, uh, a lot of agreeing tonight. Um, yeah. you know, on Fezziwig and, yeah. and montages. I, I feel like the, you guys need to cuddle more. The seventh sign is now there. Oh yeah, it's oh yeah. The seal is opened. It's uh, wait for it, boys. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I think there was I I would say that was a montage. Have we lost Slover? No, I'm I'm oh. here. I'm just gobsmacked. <laughs> his, his jaws down around his yeah. Ankle. I'm just what the hell. Okay, so 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 we're tied here. So it's a it, it's a dead heat out there. We will leave that to our listeners, gentlemen and ladies. And this listen- last week, I'm telling you what, our listeners have uh, have chimed in uh, full force. This, I mean, in the last week or two, yep. I mean, our listeners have shared more with us. And uh, even if uh, even if it is contrary to uh, uh, to our beliefs, because um, I still hold that uh, you know Godzilla and Cloverfield are some of the greatest movies of our modern day um I, I still respect them nonetheless <clears throat> all right <clears throat> that being said <laughs> but no this uh, you know we, we've got a lot of facebook posts recently a lot of good dialogue and discussion yeah. and uh and we and encourage, feedback yeah and we encourage that so all right last and certainly not least and so it begins was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? You know, most of the people in this movie, most of them were about Ken's age, it seems. Maybe a little bit older. Wow. Um, I'm just saying, just a point of reference. Um, you know, he's referenced his age and, or Mark's age, you know what I mean? You know, uh, so, you know, you know, you figure that, uh, you know, put another, uh, 28 years on them and they're just, it's just, uh, you know, they're, they're too old for the role. So, um, Muncie, you know, are 19... you, Muncie, are you just, just cut to the chase? Was I'm, I'm just, no. no, no. All right. No. I'm just defending myself for the lack of well, it's, connections. Yeah. It's not your fault. I didn't expect you to ask. Some, da- some night, Steve, you make it feel like it's my fault. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's a move from like 1996 and you can't find somebody, I do blame you. Let's see. There we have it. So sensitivities. Yeah. Correct. All right. Uh, well, get a hold of yourself, Muncie. Yeah, I have feelings, unlike Steve. Is Steve giving you the hi hat again? <laughs> giving him the hi hat. Oh, okay, folks. That I'm tired is- of the hi hat. <laughs> okay, Clip. folks. It is now time for the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. Uh, I'll take it by all means. Sure. You know, we we chose to do this 
near the anniversary of a day that will live in infamy, and I, I think that this movie, Torah, 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 does a present a very even-handed, as we noted, docudrama approach to the movie. Some people, it got lambasted by the critics, but what do they know? Have you ever seen a monument built to a critic? No. Um, no the critics like a, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, enough said. Um, thank you, Jeff. This is a very well done movie that is historically accurate on its face. Um, I would say it gets about 85, 90% of the history right, unlike Pearl Harbor, which maybe gets 5% right. It, it is a very well done movie. It's a very thoughtful movie. It, uh, it lays out the issues leading up to the, to the attack on Pearl Harbor, and then it provides a very gripping and, in some respects, painful um, and hard to watch in some sense uh, attack on the American uh, naval base at Pearl Harbor. And it does so without histrionics, without drama. And I, for that, I, I, I give it a lot of credit because it, it tells a story in a in a narrative fashion that is very historical, very accurate, and very thoughtful. And that is why, you know, it's wonderful to see a movie that defies the critics. And we've done a lot of these types of movies that defy the critics, and it's held up um, as a as a fine piece of film work. Historically, it is well done. Uh, special effects, cinematography, they're all well done. You know, this is a movie that was done before the period of CGI, way before the period of CGI. The miniatures, the action sequences with aircraft that were mocked up or real in the sense of some of the P-40s and B-17s is superlative. It's just unbelievable to watch this. This is a fine piece of historical filmmaking. Uh, this would be a type of movie that should be shown in high school or college if someone wanted to present the war the outbreak of World War II and our involvement in the war. It, the, the actors understand their roles as characters within a narrative and they deliver. Um, I think that's one of the criticisms that many of the critics had. And I think that they are very misguided in that sense because this is the story of uh, larger events and it is not about characters. It is about events. And to that end, this movie delivers, uh, I think Steve mentioned at the beginning, this is much like this is the longest day um, done on the Pacific Theater, and it is it is very, very well done. And I, I, I had not seen it for many years. It is streaming on Netflix. If you've not seen it, watch it. If you have um, children who are teenage or college age and are not aware of American history or have had this glossed over, sit them down and watch this movie, especially with this weekend, the anniversary coming up. I will give this movie an eight and a half. I think it still, it holds up. It's very powerful. And it's a dramatic docudrama that does not cheap out or lend itself to drama over history um, in a very effective manner. So I... I, I'm very glad we um, chose this movie because I had not seen it in a number of years. And it's a compelling story, and it's told very well. 
and it's very respectful of all parties involved, Japanese, American, um, whatnot. And I'm, I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Second. Third. I was thinking eight and a half, too. Yep. Wow. Yep. Unanimous. There you go. Yep. Solid movie. Okay, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 136. Check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes and Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. You can also look for us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie and follow us on Twitter. So until next week, which is going to be an epic show, so stay tuned. Signing off is my very good and dear friend. Mark, you called down the thunder, and you sucked my battleship. Slover. December 7th is coming up. Everyone take a moment on that day and just uh, just remember those men who gave all. We're not looking for a fight. Unfortunately, it found them. So on December 7th, just take a moment and remember and thank and honor those who who lost their lives or who served on that day of infamy. Well said. And also signing off is our other good and dear friend, Jeff. Holy crap, I saw geishas in this movie. Muncie. Um, what Mark said. There you go. And last and certainly not least is our other good and dear friend saying, Aver adu navidazan. Ken, I don't display 64,000 tons, but I have a huge gun. Ronan. I fear that all we have done is to awaken a sleeping moron. I filled him with a bottle of old Fezziwig. <laughs> Ken wins again. He, he's talking about you, Steve. I know he is. That's fine. You know what? Because if I had feelings, they'd be hurt. If you had feelings, you'd feel them. Well, there's that too. All right, folks. That's it with the Man Cave Movie Review 136. Stay tuned to us next week. Until then, ciao. This is episode 136, and today we're going to be talking about Torah, Torah, Torah. That sounded really good, didn't it? Or no? No? Nothing? Yeah. No. Sounded like you were trying to have a a monster truck commercial go on there. I'm... Okay, this great and fantastic film stars. You'll only need the edge of your seat for this podcast. We'll sell you the whole thing. But I'm... Oh, dear. All right, this great and fan <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ, the <laughs> ultimate in smash em up truck. It kills everything. We'll say it all, feet, but you'll only need the edge. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Okay, that's it. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was great. I couldn't help it. All right, three, two, one. All right.